Hey church family, I'm excited that you've decided to join us again on this Sunday morning, wherever you may be, whether that's at the beach or at home, on your front porch, whether that's a mile down the road or on the other side of the world, we're excited uh, that you have decided to join us as we continue the series looking at John the Baptist at his life and his ministry. My name is Nick. I'm the campus pastor at our Daphne location. I'm excited to be able to join you this morning uh, for our online worship service as we, as we said, continue to look at the life uh, of John the Baptist. As many of you know who have been with us for a few weeks, we started looking at the early life of John. Uh, John the Baptist. And when I say early, I mean early. He was, uh, Scripture tells us that the first experience with him and Jesus was when he was still in his mother's womb. Uh, and we know that Mary came in, she was pregnant with Jesus. And when she walked in, Scripture tells us that John leaped in his mother's stomach. Uh, and so that was the first experience that he had with Jesus. And we looked at that that Sunday, the sanctity of life and the purpose that God has for all of us, even from the point of conception moving forward, and how that applies to us today. And then in week two, we looked at uh, John coming and saying that he was going to lower the mountains and raise the valleys, uh, make straight the path of the Lord. And we apply that to our lives and what that means for us. And then last week, we looked at the message of John the Baptist, uh, the message of repentance and baptism, the, the message of, hey, we all need to come to Christ. We all need to turn from sin and turn to faith in Christ. And so today we continue looking at the life of John the Baptist, John the Baptist, the worshiper of Jesus. So as we look at John's life, John the Baptist, the worshiper of Jesus, one thing that we have to do is define what worship means. Uh, in our culture today, we use the word worship. We just kind of throw it around, and it can mean a number of different things. And according to how it's used in the context and in the sentence, uh, we know what they mean by that. And you may remember, I remember growing up, and if there's a guy in love with a girl in high school, uh, he leaves his buddies to go and hang out with her all the time, then we might say that he worships the ground she walks on uh, because he's always doing what she, uh, she wants him to do. But then we might also say, uh, that somebody who loves a sports team, that they worship that team, or somebody loves a certain athlete or a certain uh, singer, an artist, they say they worship that person. And we know what they mean in culture when they say those things, but what does true biblical worship look like, the worship of the John the Baptist, the way that he worshiped Christ? And I recently found a quote by pastor and theologian uh, John Piper that said, worship is this, biblical worship is this, to value or to treasure something above everything else, so true biblical worship is to value or treasure something above everything else, treasure God. So to value or treasure God above anything else. And I would add a little to that and say true biblical worship is to value or treasure God above anything else in every aspect of your life. So it's not just something that you do on Sunday mornings as many of us think. It's not just something you do at certain times when there's music playing or, or songs to sing. Worship is a way of life. Uh, in our culture today, we in the church and even outside the church, we think of worship as the first 20 minutes of a song set uh, before we go into teaching on Sunday. Or we do a night of worship. 
uh, where we all gather and we sing and we worship. And that is worship. But it's only a small part of what true biblical worship is, a life of worship. And the worship that we're going to look at today with John the Baptist was one that went through every part of his life. It was his mission. It ran through his off time and his own time. When he was at work, if he had a real job, you know, he was a pastor, a prophet. Uh, but it also took place at home. Uh, it took place when he was on vacation. And it takes place uh, when you're playing with your kids. True biblical worship, valuing God above all else and treasuring God above all else, flows through every part of our life. And that's what we'll learn from John today. So today, again, as we continue to look at the life of John and what worship is, we're going to look at two different parts of Scripture. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, but we're also going to jump over to John uh, to see a different part of the story, same story, but a different day, uh, and what John says there. And so first we'll be in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, and it says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when, John, or when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens are open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with who I am well pleased. So that was the baptism of John, or the baptism of Jesus where John baptized him. And we'll move into the book of John, not written by John the Baptist, but written by the Apostle John. And it'll say this, John chapter 1, verse 19 to 28. It says, And this is the testimony of John. So it's the story of John. And when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, so the priests and Levites went out as a convoy to ask who he was. And they said, Who are you? And he confessed. And did not deny, but confess, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who have sent us. Who do you say that you are yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And then verse 24 continues. It says, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah or a prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the straps are whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan when John was baptizing. So as we look at those scriptures and we look at the life that John lived and many of his interactions with Jesus and the Pharisees and the priests and others who came to question him, we can look at this and ask, what are aspects of John's worship that we can apply today? What are aspects of his life that allowed him to worship Christ in a way that was pleasing, a way uh, that was showing the value and the treasure that he is and that he was to John, a way that flows through every part of his life? And so the first way uh, that we can see this is through John's humility. Uh, we can see it in John's humility when he comes to baptize or when Jesus comes to be baptized by John. And we see that John didn't want to do it at first. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you not come to me? So John's questioning him. He's going, Jesus, look, I know who you are and I know the role that you play, but I need to be baptized by you. This isn't something that I can do. We can see his humility overflowing here to where he recognizes that he is less than Christ. And he even says that later uh, in the Bible. He says, I must decrease, that he must increase. And he understood the role that he was playing. And then later, when Jesus is being, or when John's being questioned in John chapter 1, verse 26, uh, they say, John answered, I baptize with water, 
But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So what is John saying here? Back in Jesus' time and in those days, uh, the Middle East was dusty then just like it is now. It's a, de- it's a desert atmosphere. And most people walked everywhere they went and they wore sandals. Their, their, their shoes were open-toed. And so when they walked, their feet got extremely dirty. And in those days, if you went to somebody's house or you visited somebody, one of the first things that you would do is they would have a servant wait on you. Uh, and one of the first things when you came in their house is they would actually take your sandals off uh, and wash your feet before you moved on to the table and sit down to visit with everybody. They would actually have somebody wash your feet. Uh, and we see Jesus do this throughout Scripture, and we see other, ones, other uh, people in the Bible do the same thing. Uh, but one thing that John is saying, he says, I'm unfit to even untie the sandals of the one that's coming. And John's saying, I'm not, I'm not just a servant that can wash his feet, but I'm not even fit to start the process. See, John knew that Christ was more than he was, and his humility allowed him to say, look, you are greater than I. And you and I must do that if we want to worship Christ in a way that shows the value and the treasure that is Christ in every aspect of our life is our humility must overflow. See, a point is that you can't truly worship God when you sit on the throne of your own heart. Uh, Many of us, everything is about us and the world is created for our pleasure and our purpose and we can't worship because we are the core of our universe. And when we do this, it makes it impossible for you to humbly approach the throne of God and worship Him. And I would say, that probably now more than ever, it's harder, to, uh, it's harder to form a heart of humility because of the society that we live in and the culture that we have. We are blessed by technology, but it's also a curse. And I read in a book the other day, uh, they said this is the only time in history uh, that human beings can be both the star of their own show and also their biggest fan. What, what did he mean by that, that we can be the star of our own show, but also our own biggest fan? Well, what he's talking about is the use of technology. And how we can share a picture and we can self-promote and promote ourselves and what we want and what we think are right. But then after we post them, we can also go and sit in the crowd. And we can talk about, man, how great it looks and how great it was and how great we are with the people who are making comments. We can post a picture of our family and we can gloat and how beautiful everybody thinks we are as we continue to add to that with false humility. Or we can post something that we did recently and, and, and say, man, this is awesome what we've done and then drop down and be a spectator as well and in the comments continue to build our pride about who we are sitting on the throne of our hearts as we think the world is about us and what John shows is the world doesn't center around us that there's more to life than us and John understood the role that he played which brings us to our next point our next aspect of what drove John's worship of Christ what drove John to value Christ above all things and that's that he understood the role that he played see John from the very beginning when people were coming and asking him, who are you? We just read in John chapter one where uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees actually sent a group out to question him, a priest and Levites, and ask him, who are you? Are you a priest? Are you a prophet? Are you Elijah? You see, it would've been very easy for John to say, I am those guys. He could've built a kingdom for himself. He would've been promoted around the community as the Elijah has returned, or the great prophet, or even the Christ, because they ask him, are you the Messiah? Uh, but every time John answers no, And he refers back to the Old Testament. See, John was so clear about who he was and the role that he played in the bigger picture of the gospel uh, that he even knew the Old Testament prophecy saying, this is who I am. I'm the one that comes. I'm the one lowering the mountains and raising the valleys. I'm the one making the way straight for the Lord. See, John knew that it wasn't about him again. And he was continually looking at his role and the impact that it had on the bigger picture of the gospel. 
And you and I must do the same. Many times we ask, what is our, what is our point in life, even as believers? A lot of times we get confused about what is our goal, what is our purpose in the bigger picture of the gospel? We feel like if we're not in full-time ministry that we're not making a difference. If we're not uh, out preaching weekly or being involved in small groups or if we're not doing all these things that we think and society says that we should do every week, then we're not playing a role in what Christ has for us. But I would say that even if you're a believer and you're a Christian in the workforce, that you are playing the role that God has given you. That when you go into the workforce and you bring Christ with you, you bring worship of God with you into your environment at work, and you make much of God and you show people that He is valued and treasured above all things in your life on a daily basis, that you are playing the role that you have been sent and that you have been told to serve in the kingdom of God. One way that we can understand the role that we are sent to play is by looking at uh, the apostles in the New Testament and James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, in their writings, you can see when they introduce many of their letters that Paul says, Paul, a servant of our Lord. Paul, a servant of God. Paul, a prisoner of the gospel. James, in the book of James, when he intros it, he says, James, a servant of, the, of, a servant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then even Moses, when he's referred to in Hebrews chapter 3, as they say that uh, Moses was nothing more than a servant. I'll be a great servant in the house of God. He was nothing more than a servant. So you and I, John and the apostles, are servants to God. Servants who play a critical role in spreading the gospel and building the kingdom that God has invited us to be a part of. And when we realize our role as servants, it doesn't uh, take away from who we are. It doesn't diminish the role that we play. But what it actually does when we realize that we are but servants in the kingdom of God, in the house of God, that actually raises Christ to the place of value that he deserves. It elevates Christ to a place of value that says, hey, I'm just a small part in the bigger picture. Like John was saying, I'm just a small part. I'm here for a moment. The one coming behind me is greater than I am. So it doesn't diminish who you are, who I am, but it simply elevates Christ. It elevates God to the proper place in our hearts when we submit everything that we are to him and worship of him. So we see that John was a humble man, that his humility drove his worship, his valuing and his treasuring of Christ. We see that uh, he understood his role and the part that he played in the bigger picture of the gospel. He was simply the trailer to the movie that was coming. We watch trailers now to see what the movie's about, and we, they were looking to John to see what Christ was going to be about when he arrived. But we also see that John lived a life of obedience, that part of John's worship was having a heart of obedience. And we can see that at the baptism of Christ. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 and 15, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him. So John would have stopped him. John tried to stop him and say, I need to be baptized by you. And do you not come to me? But Jesus answered him. And this is Jesus' response to John. He says, Let it be so now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then the next part, it says, then he consented. And so John was obedient. When Jesus came to be baptized and John said, wait, you should baptize me. And Jesus says, let us do this so righteousness may be fulfilled. John consented. And John said, I'll do it. John had a heart of obedience. It led to worship. See, many of us today, we do this thing that's partial obedience. Right? And there's a saying that says partial obedience is not obedience, but partial obedience is disobedience. I've had to learn this in my own life, but even more so as I've had kids. 
And I might tell my kids I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a year-and-a-half-old. And I may tell them, hey, go clean up your room, make up your bed. And they may come back to me and say, well, I, I, I said, did you do what I asked you to do? And they say, well, I, I went and brushed my teeth. And that's a good thing that they did. That's, that was the next step in what I wanted them to do, but it wasn't what I asked them to do. And we see that partial obedience is disobedience, and many of us do that in our own lives. I went through a time in my life where I was running from being in ministry. I didn't want to be a pastor, to be transparent. I didn't want, nobody in my family was a pastor. I had an uncle that's a pastor, but we didn't see him much. And I felt led and called to ministry, but that's not what Nick Williams always wanted to do. Nick Williams always wanted to be a business guy, to start his own business and run his own business. Nick Williams went to college uh, to get a business degree. And then when he got out, he felt the call to ministry, but he avoided that. And he said, you know what? I can be partially obedient. I'll do, I'll share the gospel with my coworkers. I will pray for my coworkers. I will lead in different aspects at church and I will be there. And maybe that'll make God see that this is what he wants me to do. And I'm also fulfilling my plan. The problem was that my partial obedience did not lead to obedience, but it was still disobedience. Many of you have probably felt the same thing. You feel like you ought to share the gospel with your neighbor, but instead you just say, you know what, I'll pray for him. Or many of you may feel led to start a Bible study or start something at work or have a conversation with somebody. And instead we draw the line and we say, I'm not going past this. But we see that John, when it came to obedience, that John's obedience to Jesus took him all the way to his death. And we have to do the same thing. We have to realize that, that in order to worship, we must have a heart of obedience. So what I would ask you today, do you have a heart of obedience? Many of us look at scripture and we go, well, I'll come to church because, right, a command, biblical command is to not forsake the meeting together, the gathering together of his people. I'll come to church, but I won't tithe. Both are which are biblical commands. It's partial obedience. I'll pray for my neighbor, but I'm not going to share the gospel with them because I'm scared that partial obedience is disobedience. We might feel the same call I feel and go, you know what, I feel called to missions or I feel called to help church plan, or I feel called to full-time vocational ministry in some aspect. But that doesn't line up with our hopes and dreams and what we wanted. And so we start drawing lines and go, God, I'll do this and I'll do that, but I'm not going there. And what we see is that partial obedience is just disobedience, and it doesn't lead to worship. You and I must have a heart of obedience if we want to truly worship, showing Christ His value and understanding His treasure in every aspect of our life. So we've seen several aspects of John's life of worship being humility, understanding his role, uh, obedience to the point of death, obedience to what Christ has done. Uh, and the next thing that we see in John's life is that he had a thorough understanding and a knowledge of who Jesus was. He understood who Jesus was and the role that he came to play. And we see this in John verse one, or chapter 1, verse 29 and 30. It says this, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John was perfectly clear on who God was. Behold the Lamb, of the, God, uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. See, John understood who Jesus was and why he came. He was the Lamb of God. The people of that day, the Jewish culture would have understood what he meant by saying the Lamb of God. There was a sacrificial system. They sacrificed lambs for their sins yearly along with other things. And when he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, they would have understood the reference as being the Savior, the Messiah. And then you see John's humility come into play again. And he says, he is greater than I am. He was after me, but he is actually before me. And here's one thing that we need to understand is we can't value or treasure something above all else 
if we don't know anything about the object of value. We can't worship, we can't value, we can't treasure something if we don't understand its value. And we can't worship, we can't treasure Christ if we don't understand who he is. Many of us have just kind of created a concept of Jesus from what people have told us from movies we've watched, whether it's The Chosen or The Passion of the Christ or whatever else, which those aren't all bad things. Those are all part of it. But if we've taken the time to look at Scripture and go, who is Jesus? Who is the man that I believe in? Many of us have been believers for some time, but we still don't have an intimate knowledge of Jesus. We know about Jesus. We can answer questions. But do we have a personal relationship that says we know who he is, that we recognize him, that we hear his voice? I recently was reminded as we studied through this, as I studied through this this week, uh, of a guy that uh, it was kind of like American Pickers. You've probably seen that show where they go and they find these old barns and they go through them and the people uh, are just trying to sell stuff. Some of them know what stuff's worth. Many of them don't. So they go in and they give them a fair value, uh, but then they'll turn around and sell it for more. Uh, well, a similar incident happened with pictures of Billy the Kid. Uh, many of you know Billy the Kid from Western movies. He was a Western outlaw around 1870. Uh, he died in 1881. He was a teenager when he was shot and killed. Uh, but up until the last 15 years, there was only one known picture of Billy the Kid. Uh, but in the last 10 years, there's been two instances where men have gone to garage sales and bought uh, just some old photos. Took them home and started looking through them and recognized somebody and said, I wonder if that is Billy the Kid. And they started doing research and over time of having people look at it and st study the image and the handwriting on the back. Uh, two of these pictures have actually been proven to be uh, Billy the Kid. Uh, what's funny is that the guys that bought them from the yard sale bought them for $10. They went in, just bought some pictures. The owners had no understanding of the value of what they had. Uh, but when they got home and they realized who was there and they had people look at it, that went from a $10 picture to what many say are valued to over $5 million now because there's only three known existing pictures of Billy the Kid. See, the first owner knew he had a picture, but he didn't understand the value of the picture. The second owner had a picture, but he understood the value of what he had. Many of us know Christ, but we don't worship him and we don't value him. We don't treasure him the way that we should in our daily lives above all else because we don't understand what we have. And the way that we understand what we have is by spending time studying the Word of God. So I challenge you, go home and jump in the Gospels. Open your Bible and ask God to reveal who Jesus is to you as you read through the first four books of the New Testament, looking at the life of Christ. Because we can't value something that we don't understand its worth. We must understand the worth of Christ. We must understand who He is as John did when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you understand the value of Christ. So we see the humility of John the Baptist in his worship. We see uh, that he understood the role that he came to play. We see that he had a heart of obedience that leads to worship. We see that he understood Jesus's role, who Jesus was and why he came. And then finally, we see that John the Baptist uh, had both a private and public worship of Christ. He had both public and private worship of Christ. And we can see this in scripture. If you look with me at John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, Behold the Lamb of God. So there's two instances in John, a day apart, one's the day before the next. And John says, Behold the Lamb of God. But the first, in verse 32, it says this, And John bore witness to who Jesus was. He was publicly bearing witness that Jesus was the Lamb of God. See, John worshiped publicly. And many of us do that on Sunday. Uh, we worship publicly, or we may go to other places and be willing to pray. Uh, we may go to work and talk about who Jesus is. Uh, we worship publicly in our lives, but do we worship privately? We see that John also had a private worship life. 
In John chapter 1, verse 35 and 36, it says this. The next day again, this is after the day before uh, that we just talked about, John was standing with two of his disciples. So John was standing in an area, uh, and they could have been just out looking over a river like Styx River behind me. Uh, and they were just standing there talking. They could have been, they were fishermen, so they could have been talking about if the fish were biting, right, how low they were dropping their net or what lures they were using. Uh, they could have been just talking about the weather and how hot it is like it is today, and we're out here sweating, and they could have been talking about the same thing. Uh, but he sees Jesus walking by, and this is what John says to his disciples. So this is a private conversation uh, between him and two of his disciples. And verse 36 says this, And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. So we see that John didn't just worship in public when it was convenient. He didn't just worship in public when the masses were coming to hear him speak and he was inviting people to repentance and to faith and then go off and be somebody else, but he actually did it in, in public and in his private life with his apostles, with his disciples. Having disciples was nothing new. Uh, Jesus had disciples. John had disciples. Many times the Pharisees would have people that would follow them and study their teachings, and John was teaching them what it meant to worship and who he was worshiping. My question for you today is, are you a person that worships in public and not in private? Are you a person that worships in private and not in public? We've all been guilty of it at some point. right? We all have been guilty of praising someone in public. And then going home and saying, you know what, I don't even know why I like that person. Right? It's, it's, it's our human nature, right? We are, we are fallen people and we've all been guilty of it. But do we do this in our worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? We shouldn't. We don't see it in John's life. We see that John was committed to both private and public worship. Do you worship publicly? Do you raise your hands on Sunday morning? Do you amen the preacher and then go and live a different way throughout the week? Or do you have a strong home life where you and your wife are committed but then you get out into the community, you go to work, and the value that you place on Christ and the worship of Him is simply the cost of somebody else's opinion. To where when you start to talk about Him and they don't agree, you flip. What is it for you? Are you a public worshiper or a private worshiper? We should be both as we see in John's life, both public and private worship. So today my question for you is, do you have a life of worship? Do you in your life, do you show that you value and treasure Christ above all else in every aspect of your life, whether it's a work or play, whether it's at home or on vacation? Do you show the value of Christ in the way that you live? I would submit that many of us fall short in one area or the other at any time in our life. There's been times when my pride has kept me from worshiping the way that I should, for repenting the way that I should, because I feel like I'm right and I have all the answers. Right? I just I admitted earlier in this teaching that for a long time, I lived out of complete obedience to God. I, I was disobedient to the will of God because it was partial obedience. It took me time and, and hard lessons to learn what obedience looks like. But I've been there and I've done it. You may be in the same place at home now, sitting on your porch, going, man, what do I need to push into? Where do I need to go from here? And I would simply ask you, look over these aspects that we looked at from the life of John and go, man, is my humility where I'm lacking? Is that why I can't worship in a proper way to value God the way that he should be valued? Is it that I don't understand my role and I need to spend time in scripture understanding my role as a servant in the house of God? Is it because I don't understand Jesus or is it because, man, my private life, my public life don't add up? James tells us that a double-minded man is pushed to and fro like waves in the sea. Man, are we that guy? Are we that lady? They feel like we're double-minded people living two lives when it should all be a life showing the worthiness and the value of Christ. I would encourage you to look at that and push into that this week. And if you are here today and you go, man, I don't even know where to start. 
I don't even know where to start worshiping because I'm not a believer. Well, it's simple to understand the gospel. It's the fact that we're all sinners and come up short. Scripture tells us that James, in the book of James, he even tells us that not many of us need to be teachers because we all stumble and we'll be held to a higher standard. So do you understand that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? We've got to repent of that sin and turn to Christ like we talked about last week. Turn to Christ in faith and understanding that He was God the Son that lived a perfect life, was born of a virgin, lived the perfect life. Right, died on the cross, the perfect death, was raised on the third day, ascended to heaven, and that's at the right hand of God our Father now, interceding on our behalf, even as we talk this morning. That Jesus is praying for me and for you, that he's interceding for things that we don't even know that we need. Would you commit your life to Christ today? You came to the world you created trading your crown for a cross you willingly died your innocent life paid the cost counting your status as nothing the king of all kings came to serve washing my feet and covering If more of you means less of me, take everything. Yes, all of you is all I need. Take everything.
Take it.